This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. The most memorable interviews and listener calls from the week that was on Fight Back with Libby Snymer. Welcome to the best of Fight Back with Bob Comsick. Good afternoon. Welcome to the Sunday edition of the Best of Fight Back. More of what you want to hear from the week that was. Canada recently said it would welcome an unlimited number of Ukrainian refugees and allow them to stay, work and study here for up to two years. But there are bureaucratic obstacles preventing them from coming here, including requiring refugees to go to a Canadian embassy to submit biometric data. Most have no way of getting there. And if they do, the wait lists are long. Libby spoke with Toronto immigration lawyers Giddy Mammon and Daniel Lee, as well as Demian Hiwaron, who's trying to bring his family over from Ukraine and wants Ottawa to speed up the process. The challenge right now is, you know, how do these people get 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 into the system? You know, a lot of them have left, you know, they, they may or may not have complete documents. They may or may not have access to uh, you know, uh, the internet, they might have, they, they might not have grabbed their phones, you know, who knows. But, you know, some of the requirements that are normally reasonable, um, right now are, are unreasonable. Giddy Mammon, uh, what do you make of it? It seems like there's a big, you know, announcement with fanfare and people are really happy, but th- they haven't even begun to figure out how to get it done. Am I wrong? You know, we're almost out from the uh, launch of the attack on Ukraine. Uh, the brutal truth is we still don't have a visa exemption. Uh, we, still, we still don't have an exemption from biometric requirements. We still don't have an exemption from um, travel document uh, requirements like passports. The government has promised to waive fees, but if you can't get biometrics and you need a visa and there's no one to process it, uh, waiving fees actually cost you nothing because nobody's getting through the system. Uh, also, the government announced uh, in its uh, March 3rd release that, you know, they've allowed, uh, you know, apparently 6,000 Ukrainians to come to Canada, but that was uh, from January the 1st, uh, 22. Uh, this uh, this conflict started in, uh, in mid-February, late February. So uh, really not much has been done. Um, you know, Canadians seem to think that we are very generous in how we deal with uh, refugee crises. Uh, the reality is we're, we're not really in these kinds of circumstances, um, but we certainly like to take credit for it. In this situation, the government said that they're going to announce some things uh, two weeks in about two weeks. Uh, I think tomorrow is about that day that we're expecting something. And it'll be very, very interesting to see if the government actually does waive visa requirements because that's never been done before. But they said that they would. So we'll see if uh, if they're going to leave obstacles ahead of these people so that even if the visa requirement is waived, uh, if you can't get to a visa post, if you can't get biometrics done, it's a really a hollow promise. Daniel Lee, so first of all, can you uh, tell us exactly what the getting biometrics done uh, involves? Sure. So biometrics is basically your fingerprint and taking a photo. So usually under normal circumstances, you would um, get your biometrics completed um, over a at a visa application center. The problem right now is 
it, it's difficult to um, make an appointment with a visa application center from overseas um, because there are a lot of people applying for biometrics. And at the same time, um, for some of the um, biometrics uh, appointments, it, it also requires you to have um, um, uh, address in that location. So if you're fleeing from a country, so that will be difficult to to obtain. Um, and more importantly, is like currently like there are a lot of people from Ukraine who are, are applying for a visa to Canada, and they're currently located in Ukraine. And the two visa applications that are located in Ukraine are currently closed since February 24th. So this um, requirement for biometrics is making it really challenging for a person to finalize their visitor uh, visa application. Damien, uh, what would you like to leave us with on this topic? One of the things from my experience is, is the people that I've had contact with, um, they're, they're just trying to get their families safe. They're, you know, Europe is saturated and, you know, this, this isn't a discussion for them, at least of immigration. They're, 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 they're proud to be citizens of Ukraine. They want to go back. They want to live there. Uh, they're just trying to keep their families safe. Daniel Lee. Um, in order to, to really help people from Ukraine come to Canada, we really have to waive the visa requirement. Um, otherwise, this could be challenging for them to come. Toronto immigration lawyers Daniel Lee and Giddy Mammon and Demian Hywaron, who's trying to bring his family over from Ukraine and wants Ottawa to speed up the process. The day after their discussion, by the way, Ottawa announced that it would allow Ukrainian refugees to apply to come here for up to three years, but those bureaucratic obstacles remain. This is Uma Radio's Best to Fight Back. I'm Bob Komsik for Jane Brown. SickKids Hospital is caring for two young Ukrainian cancer patients who are being treated at no cost to them and their families. The hospital says it has capacity to take in more. Having a child with cancer is traumatic in itself. Having to face the hardships of war and the interruption of life-saving treatment is unimaginable. Bringing those children here is complicated and expensive. Ryan McDonald, executive director of Aman Lara, a Canadian organization working to bring sick Ukrainian children to hospitals in this country, joined Libby to discuss. We've got two children and their families. Uh, we've got a, a medical evacuation aircraft that's taking them from Poland to Canada, and uh, that's ongoing right now. We're really looking forward to receiving them at Sick Kids in the near future. What does an operation like that cost? Well, in this case, we had a, a private donor come forward with uh, $200,000, so that secured the first plane. And that, you know, that donation was to inspire others to donate. So in the last two days, we've raised about $15,000 from average Canadians, and that's going to help us pay for subsequent planes. Uh, obviously, you know, the first one's the expensive one because you've got to prove the process and, and prove that it can be done. But we're already making arrangements for a second lift and, and lift beyond that. So we want to establish a pipeline where we can fly uh, children and their families here to Canada and then fly medical supplies back to Ukraine. So it's, uh, it's pretty exciting. Uh, be glad to see the first plane land, and, and then we're going to get these going uh, one after the other. That's the goal. Tell me how this thing came together. Were you in touch with uh, a hospital in Ukraine? Uh, and, and how were these children selected? And can you tell us uh, about their condition? Yeah, so it, it, it occurred very organically. I mean, as I say, we've been doing evacuations in, in Afghanistan for, for quite a while now and, and fairly successfully. And 
so when this situation came up, you know, we were in touch with a number of our partners and we looked at the terrible scenes of hospitals being bombed in Ukraine. And it was obvious to us that, that there was an opportunity to, to bring these people to safety in Canada. And so we just started working our network. We, we reached out to, to sick kids. I have a, a personal friend there, uh, Dr. Alex Barron. He was very helpful connecting us to sick kids. Uh, we, we reached out to other friends that are aircraft providers, Reticle Ventures. Steve Day there has been absolutely wonderful to work with. And we've got this network, so we just energized it. And, you know, inside kind of 10 days, uh, we have we have built this pathway to bring the first flight across. And I really hope that we can bring some more flights. Can you tell us uh, what kind of cancers they're suffering from? I don't know that, no. It, these these in partic- these children in, in particular are, are all cancer sufferers, so... Uh, they're receiving treatment, but I don't know the nature of their, their illness. And are they receiving treatment at that triage, triage clinic in Poland, or they're just getting triaged? That, that clinic in Poland really is just triage. I, you know, I think that their, their care is ongoing, uh, and I think it depends on, on each child. Uh, but that clinic is not, it's not a hospital, right? It's, it's just a, a kind of a waypoint where they get assessed and moved on from there. And that's why it's so important we get them as quickly as, can, as we can to Canada or, or places in Europe where they can get proper care in a proper hospital. You know, we're not medical service providers, but we are working with them to make sure that continuity of care is maintained as much as possible given this incredible situation. And when do you expect them exactly? Uh, we're not sure that's up in the air right now. Um, so it's, it's, it's in the next 24 to 48 hours, that's for sure. Okay, well, I'm sure they'll get a, a, a lovely reception here. And uh, I think it's a wonderful initiative for it and uh, good for you for doing it. It's, um, it's really something. Well, thanks very much. I mean, the beauty of this has been there's been su- such cooperation right from the government of Canada through all of our other partners to, to get this accomplished. And if people want to, be part of this. Uh, you know, we appreciate donations. We have a website, evacuations.ca. So that's evacuations plural. ca, uh, and we will make sure that money gets to transport more children on the next lift. Brian McDonald, executive director of Amanlara, a Canadian organization working to bring sick Ukrainian children to hospitals in Canada. I'm Bob Comsick, and this is Zuma Radio's Best to Fight Back. Coming up after the break, a look at the lifting next month of pre-arrival COVID testing for vaccinated travelers. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Good isn't good enough. Make way for the best of Fight Back with Bob Comsick. On Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. One organization on the forefront of bringing desperately needed aid to Ukraine and its refugees is Global Medic. Executive Director Raul Singh talked with Libby about the logistics involved in providing medical supplies to be flown there. So, Global Medic's run about 240 ops. We've worked in 80 countries. We've worked in Ukraine since 2014. We have teams inside Ukraine, so folks that have been with us since 14, they're Ukrainians, they care about their their country and their community, and they're providing like community kitchens and feeding centers to feed folks. They've also opened up warehouses to receive the cross-border humanitarian aid that we've shipped in, which includes the the 20 skids that we, and Air Canada was so kind to, you know, move an aircraft in for us. We put in 3.75 million of those water purification tablets. So we put in more than the million that you mentioned. Essential medicines, because just like you said, people 
you know, if you fled the fighting, um, you grab the clothes on your back and you fled, you don't have your meds. And if you have high blood pressure or diabetes or a comorbid condition, you just don't have your meds. So we've got to get you those meds because we don't want you to not have your meds, end up in hypertensive crisis and end up in a hospital. And the reason is those hospitals are overwhelmed with the trauma patients they're dealing with from, you know, the, the, the war, right? Like from the bombardment, from the shrapnel, you know, those patients. And in order to help them, we put in trauma supplies. Now, outside the country, we've got that little hub depot in Poland where we receive aid and then cycle it in. We've got a team in Romania and a team in Moldova. The team in Moldova is feeding people, helping the shelters, helping refugees as they come out. We're up at the borders. We started producing these food packs, these, these hampers that we provide to refugee families that are staying in Moldova, incredibly poor folks, and to the host families that are hosting them because Moldova is the poorest country in the Western Hemisphere, and uh, the families that are hosting refugees really need the support. If we can give them the food to cook, it's great. In Romania, we do the exact same thing that we're doing in Moldova, except we also run cross-border aid into Ukraine from one of those one of those uh, overland ports of entry as well. I know it's a little complex and fluid, but to answer your other question, most of the stuff we're buying there, the specialty stuff like the trauma supplies or the water purification supplies or the medications we're grabbing from here and air freighting into Europe and then over. Is it realistic that uh, despite the lovely announcements by the government, is it realistic that that's some Ukrainians will actually be able to get here? Let me start by apologizing for my comment. Unfortunately, I find our government incredibly incompetent in this in this space. We we've watched the the bondoozel of uh, the Afghanistan crisis, and, you know, and and the government's more interested in like photo ops and and fluffy comments than it is in actually doing the work. So, I know that's a harsh statement, but it's incredibly accurate. And these people have to get their act together because folks are suffering. I do think that Ukrainians will end up here. I think we're going to take a lot of them. Um, and I and I think that they have a big community here. You know, there's almost a million Ukrainian Canadians that are here that are going to support them and help them integrate. More, 1.4 million. <laughs> 1.4, wow, okay, you've got better numbers than I do. So so the community will be welcome. They will come uh, and they'll need some some help. It's just frustrating to watch the bureaucracy turn so slowly in order to, to get that assistance. And, and we don't have to look too far back on on Afghanistan, where, you know, we watched the fall of Kabul and we watched people that that helped our, you know, troops on the ground and our folks there. And they, you know, they got left behind. So I do think people will come. We've got to speed this up. Uh, Some of the harder parts of this is the people that will come are going to be women and children. um, And they're going to need a lot of support. Now, it's great. There's a big community here to welcome them and and support them. But there's going to be a lot of things that we need to do. Uh, And if if you think about it, just the one thing where, they're talking about giving folks temporary access and temporary visas and showing up. It means they don't get OHIP for 90 days. Well, I think we can all think that people coming out of that war zone is going to need access to primary health care in the first 90 days. So that'll be a hump that we're going to have to, an obstacle that we'll have to overcome. And there's ways to do that. But uh, yeah, they need to put the pedal to the metal and get going on this. Uh, Rahul, and it can't be a photo op. You know what I mean? Like, like, yes. like waiting to fill a plane and come over and put a blanket around somebody and for your re-election is just not what this can be. Help folks in Ukraine. You can do that by supporting us with a contribution at globalmedic.ca and spreading the word and then volunteering. But let's help these folks that are in need. Global Medic Executive Director Raul Singh. This is Uma Radio's Best to Fight Back. I'm Bob Kopsick for Jane Brown. It's another sign of the return to normal, at least a new normal, and the travel industry is counting on it for a desperately needed boost in business. As of April 1st, we won't need a negative test to get back into the country. 
This will certainly make travel a bit less stressful and cumbersome. This is something border mayors, among many others, have been advocating for. Libby got reaction from Niagara Falls Mayor Jim Diodati, Martin Firestone, president of Travel Secure Incorporated, and Carly Marshall, a Fort Erie-based travel consultant. We've got four international bridges between Niagara and the USA, and they've been dead. You can shoot a cannon down them. There's been no travel uh, there's been a lot of confusion, a lot of frustration, a lot of many things with the labyrinth of rules. It's about time. It's overdue that we remove this. We've always said follow the science, and the scientists have been saying for quite a while, travel is no more risky than any other activity, and this was not a good thing to have. I was speaking with the mayor of Niagara Falls, New York. Uh, we're grateful that April 1st will not be an April Fool's joke, that they're actually going to stop the census testing in Niagara Falls. We're the number one leisure destination in Canada. We get 14 million people every year, and typically 50% of the revenue comes from our U.S. visitors. So it's our hope that people resume some of their travel activity and start to spend their travel dollars here in Niagara, in Ontario. All I'll say to all your listeners is there's lots of good bargains out there because we're anxious to get everyone back in the city. So jump online, check out the deals, and come on down and visit us. We offer a buffet of fun and excitement. And if you want to win dad, mom, granddad, or grandmom of the year, bring the kids with you. Lots of fun things to do. I am now joined by Martin Firestone, president of Travel Secure, and Carly Marshall, travel consultant with Glenny Travel in Fort Erie, Ontario. Carly, let us begin with you. Have you started to see an uptick in bookings or a change in your customers' feelings? Absolutely. As soon as the government got rid of their non-essential travel advisory, it just opened the floodgates for demand. And like you said, the prices are just, you know, incredibly high, but people don't care. They've been cooped up for two years now. And now that the testing is gone, it's just one more barrier taken away, encouraging everyone to, to go. How much higher are prices now, Carly, would you say as a percentage? Well, they were bottom of the barrel prices before due to the low demand, um, but they've pretty much, you know, increased by 50% to 100% on average for going in the immediate future. Uh, But you can still get good deals. The name of the game is just going to be to book early. Um, If you're looking for next fall or even next winter, now is the time. Uh, Marty, what are you finding? Well, I want to say my exuberance, uh, different than the mayor's, about border crossing and all that is, do you realize now people who didn't go away because they were worried about testing positive and having to quarantine 10 days in the destination location now don't have that worry anymore? That's huge as far as I'm concerned from the announcement yesterday because now people will go away knowing they can come back on the day they're supposed to and be able to go back to work, school, whatever. So that was a huge change. On the snowbird side of things, I promised them in November, I said by April, let's hope that testing requirement is gone. And wouldn't you know it, April 1st, it's going to be gone. So the majority of them, I'm talking hundreds of thousands, will be returning after April 1st now more than ever just to avoid any testing whatsoever. Carly, what would you like to leave us with? only thing is just that this has been a long time coming and it's great news and it is a sign that, you know, knock on wood, things are returning to normal um, travel since March of 2020 has not been how COVID is spreading, according to, you know, the statistics from Canada. 
And it's just great news. I feel very optimistic about everything. Good. And Martin Firestone, last 20 seconds to you. Just praying that we do not take any steps back here because we cannot risk having to try to put back some of these restrictions. Only hope it's one way from here, and that's forward and up. Niagara Falls Mayor Jim Diodati, Martin Firestone, president of Travel Secure, Inc., and Carly Marshall, a travel consultant based in Fort Erie. I'm Bob Comsick, and you're listening to the Best of Fight Back. Coming up, what you had to say about the week that was and the Fight Back Knockout Call of the Week. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Zoomer Radio, pulling no punches with the best of Fight Back with Bob Comsick. Fight Back with Libby Snymer has the most informed guests on the week's hot topics, and we also rely on you for your valued opinions. Here are some of the week's best calls. While the West stays clear of a no-fly zone over Ukraine, Eve believes it's needed. You can, we can do everything. We can take you no know, sanctions, everything. Russia will still get money from other countries. It, it doesn't matter what we do. He's not going to stop. He's not going to stop. And that's the brutal truth. And I really think there should be a no-fly zone. And I'm saying that, taking everything into account, because everybody's doing everything around him to just, you know, they're not putting the, you know, the, the thing right where it has to be, and that's in destroying him. Ron from Guelph shared his recent comings and goings. I just came back from Detroit yesterday afternoon, actually yesterday evening, and my son fortunately spent a lot of time, and he did some research, and um, he's CBS and Walgreens and Rite Aids, and they wouldn't quote a price even online or on the phone because most of those kind of major chains only deal with insurance, whether it's government or private insurance. So it was like you said, you had to find somebody who would actually do it for cash or a credit card, which is, fortunately, I got mine done for $75. Now, the other thing coming back, uh, the Americans going, this was a land border, of course, of Sarnia. The Americans um, wanted to seize my vaccination certificate. Coming back into Canada, the guy only cared about one thing. Forget about the arrived can. Have you got it? Yes. All right. Have you got your vaccination certificates on your phone? Yes, they do. He wanted to see that physical piece of paper that said negative. Lori enjoyed her vacation experience despite the travel testing. We just returned uh, in February from a trip to the Bahamas. We booked it a year ago thinking that we were going to have no problem now. But, of course, that didn't happen. We were always people that we cruised. We went on cruise ships and we decided we didn't want to do that anymore. But um, we went to a resort for the first time. We probably would not have gone had we been able to get our money back, but we weren't. So we took the risk. We went and everything was great. Bill from Brampton weighed in on travel testing. I'm going to Trinidad and Tobago to, for my mother-in-law's 90th birthday. I'm still looking at RCPCR test that cost me anywhere between 100 and 120 dollars. So the two of us were talking, you know, over 200 dollars senior. I mean, it's outrageous. 
Well, the fact that we can go, obviously, I'm happy with that. I mean, I've been sitting at home for the last two years, you know, behaving myself. And that's another worry we have right now, since everything is coming off. No more mouth guards and everything else. So now I've got to basically isolate myself till I go for the test, because I want to make sure it's, it's negative. And now, Fightback's Knockout Call of the Week. There are a lot of great calls this week, but the winner of the Fightback Knockout Call of the Week is Caroline in Halliburton, who's not happy with the start of the federal conservative leadership campaign. I was really looking forward to this race and seeing what the candidates had to say. But if they're going to start off by scoring off each other, um, they are sort of off my list. I want to hear from someone who's going to bring the party together and help to help the country, basically. I want to hear what their plans are. I don't want to hear them call each other names. And if that's going to be the way this is going to go, uh, the Conservatives haven't a hope. As my husband says, they're too stupid to rule. That does it for this week's Best to Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. If you'd like to qualify for the Fight Back Knockout Call of the Week, phone us from noon to one weekdays, or if you have a comment, email us at fightback@zoomer.ca. follow us on Twitter at FightbackLibby, or call our Fight Back voicemail anytime, 416-367-9636. I'm Bob Comsick for Jane Brown. Join us again next weekend when we'll round up the best of Fight Back. The best of Fight Back is produced by Jane Brown, Justin Eacock, and Zeev Hadi, with technical production by Kelly Robotham. Executive producer, Moses Neimer. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.